What do Tom Hanks, Pope Francis, Taylor Swift, Scarlett Johansson, Joe Rogan, Barack Obama, and Donald Trump all have in common? They've all been victims of AI-generated deepfake videos and images circulating on social media. The content often goes viral, deceiving millions before the truth comes out, and even then, it keeps on circulating. In fact, 2023, according to one study, saw a record-setting number of AI incidents. So can anything be done amid a technological climate where it's easier than ever to create deepfakes? The short answer is yes, and as we speak, researchers are finding ways to identify deepfakes faster than ever. And they say all this deepfake research and AI advancements are yielding major progress that could empower all of us. I'm your host, Cody Combs, and this is the Nationals Business Extra podcast. For this episode of our tech installment, I sat down with Hao Li, Associate Professor of Computer Vision at Mohammed bin Zayed University of Artificial Intelligence. We spoke inside the university's new Metaverse Center, a first-of-its-kind research hub dedicated to immersive communication, digital content, and spatial computing. Joining me now, Professor Hao Li, Associate Professor of Computer Vision and Director of Mohammed bin Zayed University of Artificial Intelligence's Metaverse Center. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. All right, so first and foremost, let's talk. Two years ago, these deep fakes were just like a blip on the screen. We didn't talk about them. Now, seemingly in the last two weeks, I think I've done several articles. They're everywhere. Taylor uh, Swift? Taylor Swift, most recently, <laughs> yes. You yeah. yeah. We've come a long way in a relatively short period of time, or maybe we haven't. What, what's your initial reaction to all this? Yeah, I think, first of all, I have, I think, two kinds of reactions. The first one is that deepfakes, a couple of years ago, uh, 2017, when they actually emerged, it didn't cause that much of a damage other than being used for very, you know, uh, disturbing purposes. But it took a while until people started to experiment with generative AI. So these are actually a different kind of Deep face, you can call it deep face if you want to, that allows people to generate arbitrary images and content that goes against the consent uh, of someone to use, right? So I think what it explains is that there are two factors that can make these kind of content viral. One of them is the how high quality it looks like, how lifelike they are. The second one is basically the ease of access. And if you think about like a couple of years ago when DeepFace came out, it is accessible to everyone. The code is open source. Everyone could generate them if they wanted, but there was still a learning curve to that. And especially if you wanted to create something very lifelike and something at a much higher quality, it does require some expertise. So most recently, we'll get to Taylor Swift in a moment, but uh, the World Economic Forum annual meeting, the Argentinian president, somebody showed me the video just off the cuff, and they said, take a look at this. I go, yeah, he's speaking. It, it is what it is. They go, no. And I, I pointed out to me, he was actually speaking Spanish. The English translation, the mouth was synced right up to it. The thing is going crazy on Twitter. Absolutely. So this is an example of AI lip sync technology. This technology has evolved a lot in the past couple of years. One of the recent products, for example, HeyGen, they're basically offering a service, an you know, online service, where you can just upload a video that is at least 30 seconds. And what you can do is you can just specify a target language. So it would analyze the speech, convert it into a different language, try to mimic the same voice as the person, and do an AI lip sync on the mouth. The technology there is very, very robust. 
the first time I saw it, I already saw that, well, there's some weird compression artifacts. For example, the eyebrows would be moving weirdly and he has like big glasses. So when he looks down, you can actually see some effects, but it doesn't matter because people can mistakenly take this as a compression artifact. So it's still very believable, especially at these low fidelity videos. This is a great example of how you can use AI, not necessarily for something bad, but for translating a language. And that brings me to my next question. Obviously, there's a lot of upside that is being discussed a little bit, but currently I think we in the media are kind of focusing on, oh, the ramifications, the potential downside. Should there and is there a difference between a deep fake video and a AI-enhanced video for something like translating? Are we, are we not splitting the two? Are the, is everything getting lumped in or...? Yeah, so first of all, AI-generated videos, AI-manipulated videos, AI-enhanced videos, I think... From a technology standpoint, all the modern methods use some form of video or image-based generative AI. They perform the best. So in some ways, they all have very similar backbone technologies. So the difference is how they are being applied. So first of all, is it an AI lip sync technology? Is it a face swap technology? Is it a facial reenactment technology? Is it just beautification? Is it de-aging? Is it turning someone into another person? So it depends on what kind of application, but also how you're going to use it. So for example, if we use AI lip sync to translate a language, I don't see this as harmful. I think this is a great application to give people some superhuman capabilities that you know he probably wouldn't be able to speak Chinese or you know any other language. So you have better reach for content. However, you can easily think, well, now I can put anything into his mouth. This would be a clear misuse of this, this technology. So then at the same time, you also have two cases. Is it satire or is it something that is used to defame a person or harm a person or something even illegal? Which was the case with uh, the Taylor Swift images, I believe. There's some nefarious images that were, there was no foundation in fact for them. So, so yeah. much so that Twitter had to put a stop to Taylor Swift searches before they could get it under control. Is this kind of, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, I think, so first of all, Taylor Swift was a different kind of technology. So in this case, they use something like a diffusion model where it's a very powerful generative AI technology that allows you to create very, very diverse content at very high quality. And you can even generate with just text input, right? So. The way it works is that people would engineer certain prompts, right? Positive, negative prompts. And you just type in something and it would generate a content that looks incredibly real. Especially, you can also fine tune to the content that you're interested in. In this case, Taylor Swift with pornographic data. And it would just generate things that are extremely disturbing. It is not surprising that these kind of technologies would get a lot of attention and views because it's using celebrities without their consent, it's extremely controversial and very explicit, right? So the problem is who is at fault here, right? Is it the person who generated, is it the platform that is not regulating it, right? So there are multiple reasons. In terms of guardrails, does the current, and I'm talking the grand scheme of things, we live in a global world, does the current legal framework work and does it need to be sort of applied to this or do you think we need new guardrails for this? So first of all, 
the legal framework depends where it is. If it's something that is on the internet, it's very hard to enforce something global. Every country, every state has their own regulations. Certain states, for example, explicitly ban the use of deepfakes for non-consensual pornography. Some ban them for manipulating elections, so for political agendas, and some for harassment. In China, for instance, there is also other types of regulations. For example, if you have a product or you have a company that is generating synthesized media, you also, for instance, need to share your technology with the government. So you're having more regulations there. So I think the problem is that legal frameworks uh, and regulations are not really catching up with the technology and how people are using the technology. And that's the same even for people who are developing the technology. They are also not always on top of how people are using it. And those kind of things can become extremely viral and can cause a lot of damage before we have even the legal framework in place. So I think the right approach is that you know, when these kind of technologies are being deployed, especially online, and especially where they're the most dangerous, let's say, on social media platforms, people need to basically work actually with legal frameworks and make sure that you are not going to do something that would cause harm. Because even if you say, well, we punish the person, it's already, the harm has already been done. So is this also an instance, and correct me if I'm wrong, where technology might also be able to help us discern what is real and what is fake. I know, like, I, I, you can just see MB said UAI has a patent application from a while back from a video transformer for deep fake detection. Absolutely, absolutely. So we have several professors, including myself. Preslav Nakov, for example, is the expert in uh, fake news detection. I have been working for years on deep fake detection, right? So before I even started here, it was funded by DARPA. So we were part of the DARPA program for semantic forensics. So basically, uh, it's you know one of the biggest efforts actually in developing technologies to detect not only deep fakes, but also any AI generated content. In addition to that, properties such as attribution, characterization. So it's more than just detecting, right? So where does it come from? You know, what was its intention, right? So one thing I can say is that we have developed a bunch of technologies that have significantly advanced the detection and characterization of deepfakes. But worldwide, the advancement of deepfake detection has been quite effective. So it's not like we're like far behind deepfake generation. And at some point, I think one thing that is important is that it also becomes more and more difficult to create a undetectable deepfake as well. Can you expand on that just a little? When you say undetectable deepfake, that's terrifying. <laughs> So first of all, yeah, so the purpose of deepfakes is to create a video that people can see the difference anymore. We are already at that point that with the naked eye, you can't really tell the difference. Even without production, you can create videos that look nearly impossible to tell the difference. However, algorithms can detect certain patterns, right? So some certain signal patterns in the images or in the videos that reveal that this was AI generated. Of course, you can always come up with a new method if you know how the detection method works, but at some point, it just becomes an overkill for the person who is going to try to hide its video. I want to pivot a little bit. We're currently doing this interview in the Metaverse Center. That's right. 
what is the Metaverse Center at MBZUAI? Yes, so the Metaverse Center is um, a, a new research center, so university affiliate research center. It encompasses multiple research labs, right? So we have my lab, for example, we work on generative reality. Uh, we have a lab that is focusing on digital twins. We have a lab that's focusing on generative music, uh, another lab that's working on multi-model generative AI. And when you think about metaverse, you might think of like VR and AR, right? And ultimately, the goal is basically to create another, a virtual reality platform allowing people to interconnect and do all kinds of things. But we're not using existing technologies, we're building fundamental technologies using AI to generate that content. So a fundamental core research uh, agenda that we're focusing on is on generative AI. It is building very sophisticated models that allows us to generate images, videos, 3D models, 3D digital humans, so that we can enable things such as telepresence. Let me give you an example. When you look at, for example, the company Meta, right, Facebook, they are showcasing, Mark Zuckerberg is showcasing some very sophisticated telepresence applications with photoreal avatars. In some ways, one of the core technology inside is the same type of generator used for deepfakes. Because what it does is that you have a deep neural network that generates a content that looks extremely photoreal. And this is the key to go away from the kind of VR application we know nowadays, because nowadays, when you think of VR, it's just a cheesy video game. But what we're building is something that looks like the real thing. And the key to that is actually to focus on generative AI. So for a while there, you had this big burst of energy from the metaverse, I think 2011, 2012, and then AI came in, and it seemingly sucked all the air out of the room. And now, here we are, 2024, and it seems like they are melding, and it's not one of those things where it's a zero-sum game where, oh, nobody's talking about the metaverse anymore. Is that accurate to say? Absolutely. From an industry standpoint, you can say right, the bubble has bursted to some extent because you can still argue, well, Apple is coming back with Apple Vision Pro and trying to you know, do another platform for uh, spatial computing. But from a researcher and scientific standpoint, it doesn't matter because the whole concept of virtual reality existed since the 70s. People started with Sensorama, then you have all kinds of you know, virtual reality technologies. The whole idea of augmented and virtual reality is to enhance humans so that they can see things better. They can augment their reality with their physical realities with digital content. They can train in a fully simulated world. Right? People use virtual reality for flight and flight simulators, uh, space training, like, you know, NASA is using these technologies for astronauts. Uh, but the question is, can we deploy these kind of technologies for the mainstream? So from our standpoint, you know, we're more concerned about how do we enable a technology that we think is going to happen anyway. But we're not necessarily driven what, by what the industry thinks, how this is going to impact the consumers. It's a lot of talk about education, and I think there's a video out there of you, MBZ UAI video, where you said something to the extent of people are going to be able to learn in ways that were previously unprecedented with this. Correct. What does that mean? Uh, so, how do people learn? It depends, like, what you want to learn. Here's, here's an example. Some people get a better education than others. Some are more privileged than others. And the majority of people on this planet don't have access to 
the best teachers. They don't have access to the best uh, sports or music teachers or uh, what we have, right? Even with the internet. And the idea is that if we could build a simulation framework that could completely mimic reality, then we could potentially change that. We could basically give access to someone who would never be able to afford going to Stanford or going to MBZ UAI, but have the same access of learning experience, which is not just watching a video online, but it's an entire experience. The whole idea is, can we build a simulation that can create a learning experience for people immersively? So that now I want to train how to drive a car, or now I want to train how to, I can learn much faster than another person if I get, let's say, a virtual teacher that can actually teach me things directly. But there's a lot of technical challenges. How do you create a digital teacher that is completely photoreal, that talks in a photoreal way, that is paying attention to you, that is a real digital human? How can you build a, an experience where people can go to a different country and not learn from, learn a different language you know, from an online class, but can really live a different culture and understand other people, right? So these are things that are, you know, something that we think could be possible in like the next decade, but the pieces to that are individual technological components. Professor Howley, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. That's it for this episode of Business Extra. Thanks so much for listening. Please remember to follow us wherever you get your podcasting content so you can receive all of our episodes as soon as they come out. This episode was produced by Doa Farid and Arthur Edison. I'm your host, Cody Combs.